Got this another Hi, everybody. Well. Welcome to Lara Chat Live. We've got a couple people still talking. Come on, guys. Be professional here. <laughs> um, I, I want to say thank you to Jeffrey Way for coming on with us. Uh, the famous Jeffrey Way that everybody uh, learned everything from. Uh, they, I'm sure a lot of people owe a lot of gratitude to him for teaching them how to program properly. I know I do. Uh, Matt probably does, but he thinks he's pretty popular or pretty uh, good himself. And uh, I know Eric loved Jeffrey Way just as much as I do. So um, thank you, Jeffrey Way, for coming on, and thank you for uh, doing all your work with Laracast and the Laravel community. So we've got our regulars here, Eric and Matt. They don't need a, a real introduction. They can just wave at us. Um, and today, uh, the way the shows work is we usually have a topic and we stick to try to stick to the topic. And uh, today's topic was going to be how do you continue to grow and become better? And we posted uh, a topic uh, to the our GitHub, github.com slash Larachat slash live. And um, a whole bunch of people in the community started asking questions and um, so this might end up being more of a question and answer show uh, for Mr. Way, and, and hopefully the rest of us can kind of chime in and keep up. Um, so first off, welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Good to be on. So uh, what we're going to kick off is let's go straight to the topic. How do you continue to grow and become better? Um, broad question. You know what? Honestly, just doing it every single day. Uh, because I run Laracast, I get a lot of questions from newcomers. Because uh, I think we can all remember, like in the early days, it's pretty overwhelming. Uh, the amount you have to learn is pretty ridiculous. Uh, so sometimes people will email me and ask, um, you know, like, how do you get better? What, what am I supposed to do? You know, people kind of want a syllabus, like do this and this and this and this. And then you are a, a professional software developer. Uh, and it doesn't, I don't think it works that way, unfortunately. Uh, the, the only thing I've found that works is doing it almost every single day. Uh, I started learning HTML in my late teens, um, and then I got the bug really quick after that. Uh, I think you know if you're meant for this industry because you either get the bug or you don't, um, and those who don't never make it. Uh, they, they maybe tinker around with uh, a blog, but that's the extent of it. But uh, the rest of us, you get the bug and you just you want to work with it every day. It's your thing. And that's the only way I've gotten better, honestly. You consume as much content as you can. I've watched hundreds of hours of videos and I've read books. Uh, but at the end of the day, you just have to work on it every day. I don't know. How, how did you guys get better? I, I'd love to hear myself. Well, one thing yeah. I wanted to, yeah, sorry. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention about that, like for me, I'm a, a hockey player. I'm older and slower now, so I'm not that good anymore. But um, when I was trying to be good, uh, uh, forewarning, I got cut from most of the teams. So, um, but uh, to get to the NHL, the professional level, those guys train every single day. And I watched some uh, friends and teammates who trained way harder than I did and they did it every day uh they ate healthily they they train you know work out and all that stuff and they made it um and I've kind of tried to take that same kind of mentality is into the professional life of software development that if I want to be the the best software developer I can be I've got to like you said do it every single day because there's some kid out of college who's going to come and um maybe they'll knock me off my seat and I won't be ready for it but um hopefully I'll have my head up yeah, I mean, what's um, that recommendation about 
uh, 10,000 hours. Uh, I can't remember who said it first, but it's something like hurry up and do your first 10,000 hours. Um, and, and I guess the idea is that's the number of hours it takes to become an expert, regardless of, of what the field is, uh, whether it's music or, or programming. And um, I, I think that's, that's the secret, right? If anyone wants to know what the secret is, it's do 10,000 hours of work. And again, that just translates to you have to do it for a really long time. You have to write a lot of code. You have to make a lot of stupid projects that will never see the light of day. A lot of toy projects. Uh, you have to have a lot of failures. You have to read a lot of code. Uh, that's a huge one. Uh, I think maybe more than anything, the thing that has made me better is reading other people's code. And you know what's funny about that is uh, when I was younger, I was afraid to do this. I don't know why, but I might use a tool or a framework, but I would never go beyond uh, the interface they provide. I would never dig underneath the hood. And I don't know if it was because I just thought it was overwhelming and it would make me feel uh, more stupid. That's probably what it was. It would make me feel less competent because I had no clue what these people were doing and they're the exact same age as me. That's the worst part is people exactly your age or younger than you who are so far beyond you. Um, it's not a good feeling, to be frank. But once I kind of got over that and I just read tons of code, it instantly made me a better developer. Okay, so I'm going to go way back because we just like threw down like so many points there. First one, uh, it's Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, did the book. Uh, I can't remember if it's Tipping Point or Outliers. One of his books talks about it. And the only reason I, uh, I know that is because I'm a huge fan of his, also because he was from my hometown. Um, but anyway, so I completely agree with you on the 10,000 hours thing, but I I think it's more than that. It's 10,000, like it, it's, I don't know if it's ever going to be a specific number like that. It's not like when you hit that 10,000 hour mark, you're now you're now good. Like the one thing that I found in ever getting into development was that, and there, and it's a, there was a specific moment to me anyway, where it kind of just everything opened up. And I, cause I'm, I was a very similar uh, sort of developer when I first started where I, was, I don't want to touch anything. You know, so I'll just do what I'm supposed to do sort of concept. But my, my one friend Gord who he actually helped do a bunch of the stuff with PhoneGap and, and Cordova and that whole team. Uh, when he and I were working at BlackBerry, he told me, never assume that the code in front of you is right or done the best way. And that's the golden rule of all, all code. It's, it's an organic thing, right? It's changing all the time. I mean, architecture shift and then it's like, well, what was... I mean, even even well, in the last one he was talking about, oh, I haven't switched all the other stuff over yet. It's still in the older ways and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, I feel when Taylor updates the framework, I kind of feel uh, required to update Laracast to the latest version because I feel like, I don't know, it would be wrong for Laracast to be running version 4 if I teach people Laravel. But I, it's funny because I talked to Taylor and some of his stuff hasn't been upgraded, you know? Um, and actually, you know what? I respect that quite a bit. It's knowing what your priorities are. Absolutely. I'm trying to think one other thing you were saying I was going to respond to. Oh, yeah. The idea that it's not like you do 10,000 hours and you're suddenly a professional. You know, it's, it's, it's like that idea. Uh, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. So an example of that is uh, my stepfather uh, has been playing guitar for 30 years. Uh, but 
he's not really been practicing to become a guitar player. He just plays it because uh, he was a professional songwriter. So he's not a good guitar player, and he's been doing it for 30 years. So it's not like you just do it over and over, and suddenly you're there. Uh, you actually have to work at it. Uh, and it's hard because I think a lot of developers... I wouldn't say anyone here and not anyone watching this because it's a very small percentage of people who actively work at this. I think you'll find most people, it's a nine-to-five job, and they go home and they don't think about it. Uh, so when you think about the people who participate on podcasts and go to conferences and contribute to open source code, we're talking about a minority here. We're not talking about the majority of developers. It just feels that way, but it's not that way. So I feel like anyone who, who participates in things like this uh, is instantly at the top of the pack, because uh, most people aren't that way. Really? So you don't, you don't feel, it, it's funny, I was about to make the opposite point in the sense that I feel like we're in an industry that you, you it's more common that the people are passionate about the work they're doing, and you don't see as many nine-to-five developers as you would like in another industry of people who are just trying to get through the grind of the day. I, and again, maybe you're right. Maybe it's I've just surrounded myself with people who are just so passionate about it. But I know, you know, a lot of the developers I work with, just about all of them, if they weren't developing and getting paid for it, they're developing open source. They're developing just to just to code and make themselves better. Um, I don't know. You know what? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I don't have yeah. any data. I'm, I'm not going to throw some numbers out at you and tell you 20%. Uh, I really have no clue. My instinct is, though, it might be uh, a bit of an echo chamber. Uh, you That's surround yourself with these types of people. So it feels that way, but you're not surrounded by all the people who, who don't do that. They're, they're not involved in it. Uh, I know lots of developers. They have zero involvement uh, with open source or with conferences. They couldn't care less, uh, which is fair. You know, it's completely fair. Uh, to be that way, but I don't know. Yeah, I want no to add to that. Maybe that's why to I enjoy that, like, my job so much. Is I've I've surrounded myself with so many people who are just as passionate. Sorry, Sean, go ahead. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, so when when we do the hiring at my company, um, that's one of the things that I'm looking for that passion that that you know says I'm going to work my ass off. You know, maybe I'll be in for nine to five. Um, you know, not whatever I can do overtime, but when I go home, coding is my hobby. I'm going to go do open source. I'm going to go do a project or something. I'm, I'm going to go learn a new technology because it's interesting. I've got friends who uh, work on um, our, we work in PHP, Laravel, Angular. They go home and work on machine learning stuff. Matt does that too, if I recall. Um, so when we find someone that doesn't fit into that kind of mold of, of a passionate developer who truly cares, we don't hire them. Um, if there are people in the company who don't follow, fit into that mold, they don't last very long because the rest of the company has all this passion and this individual or multiple individuals, they kind of get, they, they stand out and nobody wants to work with them. People start knowing. And then, you know, human can't avoid drama. You know, people are going to be messaging on the Slack channels and the DMs and texting. Oh, man, so-and-so. Oh, I hate working with him, blah, blah, blah. And, and it happens a lot. Um, but I think that some of us are really lucky to work at companies that, that identify that passion as um, a hiring uh, caveat. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. One thing I would say is... is um, 
I don't know how it's possible to get to a certain level in our industry without being a little bit obsessive, without being the type of person who does this in your spare time. Uh, you know, there's a bit of a stigma, I think, on Twitter, where if you suggest that you work, but then in your spare time, you also kind of tinker away or you do open source. Uh, I think right now there's a bit of shaming to that, actually, because the idea is there's no work-life balance. Uh, and I'm not sure that's it at all. It's just the fact that you're going to do the things you enjoy. And if coding happens to be something you enjoy, then you'll also do it in your free time. Um, but yeah, it is, it is interesting because I feel like a bit of obsessiveness is a, a prerequisite if you want to get to a certain level, because otherwise you just wouldn't make it. It's so difficult. Uh, and I feel like professionals who wouldn't say it's difficult have forgotten how hard it was to get to the point where we are, uh, because it takes thousands of hours, like, like we've just, just discussed. So, um, yeah, I, I have no clue. I have no answer for you. So, yeah, so that, that Twitter conversation, I think I saw it. It was over Christmas, right? It was about, um, I forget yeah, who it, it was. it pops up every couple months, the work-life balance. Yeah, somebody tweeted okay. something about uh, all the best developers I know are coding over the holiday. And yes, uh, I, I can't that. remember who, but he got completely slammed for it. Uh, I understand the criticism, but I, I also understand what he was trying to say. Uh, maybe yeah. he should have clarified more, but... I get what he was trying to say. Yeah, and I, I think the difficulty was because of him, he, being, the, he, he was identified as a CEO, not a technical person, even though he is. Um, but like for me, like, or like you even said, uh, I'm not coding in my spare time because I have to do it for work. I'm coding because I want to. Like I literally cannot not code. I have to do it. I, I'm addicted. I, maybe in a 10 years or so, I, I'll open up a coding rehab for people who can't duck coding. Maybe that's the next big wave of money that I, I can maybe foresee. I think I'll uh, see you guys in 10 years at my shop. <laughs> I have a joke, so honestly, that in 10 years, I just want to be a shepherd. Uh, I, I am fully aware <laughs> that I'm going to burn out. Positive. I'm completely positive I'm going to burn out. Uh, I feel like every year I, I get close to burnout where it's like, I can't do that. You know, like you, do you ever open your code editor and you think, I can't do this today? Uh, I get there about once a year, usually by the end of the year. Um, but in 10 years, I want to be done. I, like, I would love when I retire from coding to not even own a computer. I just want to like have a garden or something and never touch a computer again. Uh, but we'll see. Let's hope that's not anytime soon. Because we all appreciate the work you do. Hey, real quick, uh, one of the questions that was asked, and you just recently kind of did something like this, was what your opinion was on live coding as opposed to you know, recording a screencast. And I, I just watched your recent video where you were kind of live coding through mm -hmm. uh, the Dusk uh, package. I know I, for one, really appreciate it. I mean, I understand it, it's a different approach and, you know, whether or not you feel that lives, that, that should live on Laircast or if it needs to be its own thing, I understand, but just kind of, it, it was, it was enjoyable to see your thought process, to see you kind of stumble around and see how you're figuring things out. And uh, what's your opinion on that? Do you see yourself doing more of that? Um, I do think it has its place on the site. It's something Sorry if it's being a bit loud. It's raining really bad out here. Uh, I do think it's something that has a place on Laracast. It's very difficult because uh, I think of the videos on the side as competing with Netflix and Hulu and your Xbox. Um, so if it's just something that drags on for 40 minutes, 
just about everyone is going to lose interest sooner or later. Uh, so it's like you want to find that balance where it's quick enough so that you keep everyone's interest. But if it's too quick, whoop, right over their head, right? Uh, you're just going too fast. I make that mistake sometimes. Um, so it's something, I don't know. I think there's benefits to both. Uh, I can appreciate with the Dusk video you were talking about, there's a lot of education in just figuring out how another developer figures something out. Uh, so, so that's beneficial. I'm not sure it would ever be the standard format for the site, just because most people have about 10 or 15 minutes. And if you make them wait a half an hour, they're not going to watch it. They're going to scan, they're going to skip. Uh, and that's not what I want. So yeah, maybe a, a good balance of both would be good. Yeah, so one of the things when I watch your videos, let's say some of them, um, I the first half, I know the information. The second half, I that's what that's what I want to learn. So the first half, I am listening to it at like 1.5 speed, two times speed. And um, it's a, you have a great chipmunk voice when you... Next, when we're we going to go over here. And then, uh, there we go. <laughs> um, I'm going to go to my rest so, file and we're going to do route. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so when... I think I I don't know if people know about that enough, and I'm just wanted to call it out just in case it's something that people didn't know. Um, it allowed me to be able to kind of not miss anything, but not spend ten minutes, half an hour, whatever, um, on stuff I kind of already know. But I also wanted to touch on a a friend of mine is starting up a, a company based around chatbots, and he showed me the beta, and the way it worked was. Um, there was a topic and it asked me questions. Are you interested in this topic? Yes or no? And I click yes. Oh, am I the only one that's not hearing him? I can't hear him either. <laughs> Sorry, this may this may be working out really well for us. Oh, Sorry, there you go. Uh, technical difficulties. I banged the uh, mic. So I'm going to put my hand down. Um, so I was saying... It, it, it's like a build your own adventure tutorial into whatever the topic is. And I started thinking, man, like that would be really cool to go through a Laravel tutorial. And the first question is, do you know how to install Laravel through that Laravel new command? And uh, if I say, yes, I know that. I don't need to sit here for five minutes. I click, yes, I know. And then I go to the next step. Okay, we need to set up your, uh, your key, your environment file, et cetera. I, I know this. Okay. And then I keep skipping till I get to the part that I, I know about. But if I had to, I could go back and be like, wait a minute, did I miss something on the environment file? I, I feel like based on what he's doing, there might be a really big future for learning via chatbots. And that'd be kind of exciting. We might have replaced you, Jeffrey. It, it could be cool. Um, I, I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's, it's a very tough thing when, if I do a screencast, because basically people of all skill levels are watching. So for any given video, I'll get one person who says it's too slow, and then another person who will say, stop showing off, or, or you're going too fast, stop showing off. And, and it's very difficult, right? Because the people who understand a certain thing, they don't need me to go to slow because they've done it a thousand times, right? Uh, but other people have never done this, and they're thinking, oh, slow down, slow down, I can't keep up. Uh, so trying to find that balance is very tough. Uh, one thing... I've noticed is that when people complain that it's too fast, my instinct isn't that it's too fast. My instinct is you're not quite ready for this just yet. So you're kind of watching a video a little above your pay grade. Um, but you can't actually say that to anyone. But usually that's what it is. It's like, well, you, you don't understand these concepts yet. And I'm assuming that you do, so I'm going faster. Uh, you'll find that for the more 
beginner level stuff, I go way slower than I would for the more advanced stuff because I can assume you know a lot more than you do. Yeah, this is live. We can't go back and edit that part out. Sorry, Jeffrey. What happened? Uh, you were saying something about this is above your pay grade and you would never tell them that, but I think you just did. Oh, you know what I mean, right? I, I mean, I'm kidding. I know, I know. You know what I, I mean? Like, like it's, it's above your skill yeah. level, uh, which is yeah. totally fine. Like we're all somewhere somewhere on that line. And uh, it's, it's hard because I remember it myself. I would read, I remember reading an advanced JavaScript book when I had, when I was younger and I had no business reading an advanced JavaScript book. And by chapter two, I was completely overwhelmed and I was a little upset, but I don't think it was the author's fault that I couldn't keep up. There's a, there's a basic assumption that you understand these things and then you're ready for it. Uh, and if you start it and you, you don't know these prerequisites, it's going to be much harder for you. Um, and it, it's, it's difficult no matter what. This stuff is hard. You know, it's something I say in the videos and on podcasts a lot, uh, mostly to make newcomers not feel as bad. Because uh, I do remember that frustration that I couldn't figure it out. And everyone else on Twitter seems to understand it but you. Uh, and usually that's not the case. But um, yeah, that's, try. that's why I try to be pretty outspoken of how hard this really is. So to, to expand on that frustration of maybe being in over your head and trying to understand new concepts, uh, one of the most asked questions on our issue tracker that we opened up for to take community questions from for you was around SPAs. And I know that, that when I started getting down, going down the path of an SPA and understanding that flow and how things need to interact with other things, I, I struggled a little bit. Um, just kind of your thoughts and opinions of uh, single page applications and Laravel's role with them. And mm -hmm. uh I don't have too many thoughts. I don't. You want if you want me to be frank. I don't have a huge amount of experience building SVAs. Um, I think, I think the tooling is just now getting to the point where you can do it without it being unbelievably frustrating. Um, but in terms of like, do I think SVAs are the future? Uh, not necessarily. You know, I look at what uh, DHH is using doing with uh, Basecamp and using Turbolinks, and honestly, to my instinct, that feels so good because you're not having to build like two separate applications and figuring out how they talk to each other. Uh, you just have one. And then uh, if anyone's not familiar with Turbolinks, it basically, you, you build a typical server-side application, and then for all of the links, it has, it's a basically a JavaScript library that hijacks the links, and when you click on an anchor, uh, it'll perform an AJAX request to the server, fetch the data, strip out the body, and then... Uh, uh, with JavaScript, inject it into the DOM. So basically, you don't you don't have to pull you don't have to perform a full post back to the server. You don't have to refetch all of the scripts. You don't have to refetch all of the assets, and your site feels a lot more zippy. And before uh, honestly, everybody before everybody gets too excited about that in our little PHP world, that's a that's a Rails thing, right? Or is it? Uh, it's a JavaScript library. You, anyone can use oh. it. Yeah, that's oh. cool. If you use it with uh, something like Vue, it does get a little tricky. Like We're trying to figure out how to make that work seamlessly. Uh, but if you don't do it, it actually is really, really cool. Uh, if anyone tries it out, you'll find it's almost... I don't want to say drop it in, because every time somebody says drop it in, they sound like a jerk. Because nothing is really drop it in. Uh, but if you build a demo application you can sort of drop it in and you'll just see it instantly working. So it's very cool. 
but that's not building an SPA. Um, so building a single page app is something, you know, I've never done it on a large scale. I've done it on a lot of test projects. Uh, I'm researching it quite a bit right now, but I don't know, it's tough. It really is tough trying to figure out how does that fit with Laravel? Does Laravel then just become a backend that just serves your API? And then how do you deal with authentication? Uh, it does add a huge layer of complexity uh, that I don't know if it's worth it uh, yet, but I don't know. I, I, I'm like anyone else. I'm, I'm experimenting. I'm trying it out. So what I'm doing right now is I have this app where we have the API side and just return JSON data. Um, and then there's the client side, which is built in view. And so we, what I've done is broken it apart by section. So there'll be um, a section for, uh, let's say, blog post. I don't know. Um, and then inside of there, I have all my CRUD view components you know, for the create, read, update, delete. And, um, and then I have API calls that coincide with what I need on the CRUD. And my components are, you know, child components, and they call the API points that I want to get data from. I, I like that, but it, there is that extra step of complexity where you're maintaining two systems, one client side, one backend side. Um, and then, like you said, there's the J or sorry, the uh, authentication layer where I use JSON web tokens. I could also use OAuth. I can use an access token, which yeah. is not most secure. But um, I like with uh, whatever way. I think anybody does their work where they they do it in Laravel. Everything's in Laravel, Blade file, uh, and and all that. There's the amount of a complexity there. You do it uh, separation. There's the amount of complexity there. If you do that, that way you describe with that JavaScript library, uh, stripping out the HTML and filling mm -hmm. in the DOM where you want, that also has its own layer of complexity. And I feel like sometimes you just have to pick one, play with it, and then find what uh, really um, what really jived with how you work. Well, and I think mm -hmm. it, it, there's also the, the conversation of, the, I mean, for all those extra levels of complexity, what is an SPA really bringing to the table? I mean, what what's the benefit that you're actually getting out of it that makes it worth all that extra work? So, if if I can interrupt, <laughs> um, I've I've worked on a few SPAs with backend Laravel systems. So Laravel is solely just API uh, focused and. We, I mean, of those projects, the long-term intention was to be able to tie in mobile apps or, you know, frankly, desktop apps that are actually separate from the actual back or the API instance and stuff. And so there is a benefit in that context because you can play a lot more with your UIs in different environments and stuff. And um, we actually, we focused on using Ember because Ember can actually work very very well with Laravel as it is um, outside of a few off tweaks you have to make, but generally speaking, the way the whole CRUD structure works is almost seamless together. Um, so that's, that's my pitch for Ember's sake. Uh, I have a question for Jeffrey in a second. Um, but anyway, the, the main, the main thing that like, at least from my experience thus far, I think there's a lot of apps you're going to build that are just going to be better off as blade and, and just go with it, you know? And ultimately it's a question of frequency of change and things like that too. Right. I mean, a lot of things that are API focused, it, 
the intention is that that is going to remain solid for a long period of time. But the way things change as frequently as they do, it becomes harder and harder to maintain the two separate instances. Okay. And the question is, what are the posters? Can I, can I interject one thing before you ask the question about what you said with maintaining the, let's oh, yeah, yeah. say the, the API, I think this is, I, I really like this where I have an API and I can version it. Um, and so then if something needs to change, I can still have my version one and that's working with the client side. And I work on the version two in the background. When version two is ready, maybe I don't need to change anything on my component and it just works. So I don't have, it, I, I really enjoy that separation and that ability to um, not have to rewrite the front end if I need to rewrite the back end. That, that's one of my big selling points of a single page application. That's kind of been Stripe's whole thing too, right? I mean, it's kind of a beautiful versioning system of if it's API, not just because you know that fundamentally it's not just running its actual API access point, but it's it's running its entire UI too, right? So, I mean, because that would just make sense. Otherwise, it'd be weird. But anyway, the, the question for Jeffrey was, what are the posters behind you? Uh, oh, uh, these... Really dorky stuff. Um, uh, do I want to tell you? Uh, this is Fallout. Uh, this is from... What is this game? This was from that uh, PlayStation game. I can't even remember. I played it one time a long time ago. This guy... Get, what is it? He keeps finding notes. He's looking... It's kind of a spooky game. On, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. And then that's uh, Death Mountain from, from Zelda. I'm a huge Zelda fan. So uh, that's it. Sorry. Really nerdy stuff. I don't think we'd expect anything less. If you want to see what's on my desk, like if we're going to do the nerdy stuff, let's just go ahead and do it. Uh, we have Marty McFly, Agra from Labyrinth, and then, of course, uh, a Metroid from, from Metroid. Uh, so I'm a big dork. I have this stuff all... You know what's funny? I don't even buy this stuff for myself, but my wife knows I'm into it. So like every holiday, I just get junk like this, and it ends up on my desk everywhere. Anyways... Uh, that, that's me. I, I've been a big Batman fan ever since I was a child. Every Christmas, I know I'm getting like dozens of Batman, and I and I <laughs> appreciate them all. And I and I actually display them all. I mean, it's it's all around my office, everywhere you look, every on my desk. I got all my Batman stuff. So, so yeah, wear it with pride, man. We're 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 adults now. We can buy all the toys we wanted as as kids. So let's ask another question from the community. Um, and I think this is one that uh, a lot of people ask, whether it's our other guests or even us. Uh, I'm curious about it. I want to know what, what, um, you know, what the Laracast guy, what, what does he, what are some good books he reads? Like, how do you learn in that sense? How do I learn? Uh, well, let's say, let's stick with, sorry, I, I asked two questions there. Let's, what kind of books are you reading right now that are really interesting that um, we could uh, maybe learn from as well? Yeah, programming books. Um, you know what? I haven't read much lately. I, I found these days, I don't know, when I was younger, I just read constantly. Like, I have a massive bookshelf. These days, I find that so much of my education just comes from random blog posts. Like, I, I'm pretty sensitive about my Twitter feed and who I follow because uh, that ends up kind of being my, my educational stream. So, um, for example, uh, Adam Wathen and Taylor Otwell tweeted uh, some link from, from a guy talking about his understanding of unit testing, and I was reading that the other day. Really, really good. Uh, it kind of presents a different mindset towards 
uh, how you approach unit testing and what is the unit testing and what is isolation and, and things like that. And so I find that's kind of most of my reading these days is blog posts from influential people. Uh, books, I'm trying to think, you know, when I was younger, I read all of those books like CSS Mastery and PHP Solutions. There, there were these like Bibles for, for the beginner that I read. Um, and then you go through a phase, I think most people go through a phase where you, you buy the tech Bibles. So you buy um, those books from like 1991 that people still reference, the DDD book, the principles of application architecture, blah, 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 whatever it's called. Um, people read those and then you get really into being an architect and you get really into uh, constructing really complex code. Uh, and then I think most people hit a point where you're like, well, that was shit. That was all the crap I did. I have to undo it. And then you move on. Uh, these days, you know what's funny? When I was maybe in my first or second year, I was reading a book about object-oriented programming. And to this day, that is still kind of what I'm interested in. I think I thought I understood object-oriented programming when I was uh, 20, 22. Turns out I really didn't understand it whatsoever. Uh, I just understood that I could take this code I had before and you throw it in a class and suddenly you're doing OOP. And of course, no, you're not. Uh, you just have procedural code that you threw into a class. And I feel like to get to that point where you really understand objects and messages takes uh, a very, very long time. So it's something I, I still research to this day. What about you guys? I want to hear. I've been getting schooled on object-oriented stuff lately from Alfred. I think I feel the same trying to teach object-oriented programming at my work um, and to myself as well. And I, I often ask my, I question myself, um, am I doing it right? Should I be injecting, dependency injecting all this stuff in the constructor or in Laravel case straight into the method because I don't need to use the constructor? Like, I, I often ask my question, I'm questioning myself, am I doing it right? Um, I'd love to see Maybe maybe I need to go look through the Laracast site a bit more, but I'd love to see more books on the right way of doing object-oriented programming in Laravel. Um, I don't know if that's a, a topic you'd be interested in. I think Sandy Metz has a, a book everyone recommends. It. What is it? Uh, it's the Podor, Principles of Object-Oriented Design. Um, I have a few complaints, but I would still say it's probably the most approachable uh, OOP book you could find. My only complaint would be that so much of the book deals with this concept or this domain of like bicycles and running a bike shop and taking trips. And most of the book deals with that. And I, I would have preferred if she had dealt with lots of examples, because I know for me how I learn. Um, if somebody shows me an example, my initial instinct is, OK, show me four different more examples. So I totally get it. But usually you get the one example and you don't totally get it. Uh, but then they move on to the next thing. And I'm always thinking, well, I would love more examples. Just show me completely unrelated examples. Uh, and when you stick with this one concept, I don't know, it's hard, especially bicycling. You know, that doesn't necessarily approach to what most of us are building. Having said that, I would still say it's a fantastic book. Um, you know, the, the thing is, some of those tech Bibles, I think most developers should read them. Uh, but at the same time, I would say, in terms of being good books for educating people, they aren't good. They are very academic. They are very complex. Uh, they are very focused on a specific type of software. And that won't always 
uh, in our case, that won't always transfer over to the intermediate PHP developer trying to build a little web application. But nonetheless, I would still say you should read them. Um, I would say, I don't know, something I, I worry about a lot is, is the concept of going too far. And is this something uh, we can prevent people from doing? Or is it one of those things that every single person has to, to do? And it, it, I've seen it with everyone I know, every close friend who is a developer, I've seen go a little bit too far. And then like a slingshot, they come back, you know? And is it just something we have to do uh, over architecting? Or can we prevent it? I don't know. It has nothing to do with books. It actually, it does have to do with books because... Many of these books recommend these things, and it, it's important to remember that they were intended for a specific type of product, a, a specific type of developer working on a specific type of, of thing. And that doesn't always transfer over to the little um, project management app you're building or the to-do list you're building. So uh, I don't know. I'm rambling. I think, I, think, uh, I think a big problem when it comes to over-engineering is... So I'm actually listening... I, I do a lot of audio books because I find... You know, I like to be active, so it's really easy, but I don't know if we can all see that. Anyway, probably not. Anyway, it's called Algorithms to Live By, but it's talking about uh, computer science theory and how you can actually adapt that in human life. And it's very fascinating to hear the different parts of it. But um, in relation to what you're talking about, it's, I think, part of being a programmer in general is that you're naturally kind of curious about the way everything is going to work. And... Ultimately, we all want to be deep down. Every single developer out there wants to be the one who creates that thing that everybody talks about and is, you know, legendary unto themselves. And as a consequence, you're you're kind of forcing yourself to explore these different variants of, of you know, more, you know, unique ideas and concepts. And and I think it, it does end up happening that you kind of come back. It's kind of like you go far left and you're like eh, back to center and then it's like you try over here and you're like no oh, back to center and and that's kind of just the nature of programming the problem is that you get some of them who are just so hell-bent on being on that side and but there's there's benefits and there's there's pros cons right like that's the game of programming i've, I've never worked on a project where i've been like that was perfectly engineered uh, even <laughs> even if it really was good i'm like Eh, there's some good parts, there's some bad parts. And I've never seen something where I'm like, wow, that was just perfect. Yeah, you look back and you're like, oh, that sucked. You're like, uh, oh, this project I haven't used in three years. Let's see how that is. Nope, garbage. Uh, and and I, that's a good sign, right? Because uh, it shows you're getting better. But yeah, I don't know the, the whole idea of the slingshot. Uh, I think at the end of the day, it's good. It's good to go too far because you know what? When you do come back, and just about everyone does, uh, you have a, a lot of life experience to know uh, where this, when you went too far, why it was bad that you went too far, uh, and where it might have been appropriate to go too far. Uh, I don't know, but I, I, I've personally done it, uh, and if I had it to do over again, I would do it instantly because uh, I'm I'm that much smarter smarter now that I know not to do certain things for this type of application. Uh, that's a big one is like understanding the type of application you're building. I think um, if you read educational content or, or conference talks, if you listen to conference talks, make sure that it's focused on the type of thing you're building, right? In the same way that if a guitar player wants to play classical music, then, it, then rock guitar training isn't necessarily going to be incredibly applicable to them. Uh, this coming from a guitar player, I, I played guitar for 
couple decades. Uh, it's the exact same thing with programming. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't be curious and learn new things, but it's important to understand that maybe these ideas were meant specifically for this type of domain, like banking and insurance and very, very complex things. And it wasn't necessarily intended for your tool. It was intended for Amazon and these very huge things that, let's be frank, 99% of developers will never build, right? Um, those who do build really need to focus on these things. And those who don't should learn them, but then appreciate uh, where they may be completely inappropriate. I don't know. Yeah, I think I experienced that myself when uh, I saw this great video series on the command bus. And I'm like, the command bus is the answer to everything. And then after using it for a little while, I'm like, uh, yeah, you know what? Maybe I'm overusing this whole command bus uh, architecture a little bit. Yeah, I did a, a series on the command bus. and um, that, That's the series I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I think you're a better developer for having watched it. Uh, but I would agree... You know, you're a better developer that you understand how it works. And it's very interesting, the fact that you can uh, pipe things through a command bus, and then you can decorate it as many times as you want, and then it calls a handler. Uh, anyone who learns about it is a better developer. I would say, at the same time, anyone who actually uses it for your typical application, you are just creating a world of hurt for yourself. You're going to create a directory structure with 50 different handler classes and 50 different command classes and 50 yeah. different event classes. And you're going to feel the hurt and you're going to think, wow, why did I do all of this again? Because of these, um, these lofty ideas of like, oh, you're going to be able to decorate it. And should you need to do this, you can swap this in and out. And this belongs in the domain and this belongs in the, in the uh, application layer and they shouldn't mix. So you need to do this, blah, 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 blah. Um, all of that stuff, it sounds really good on paper. It sounds really good in podcasts when people evangelize it. And then sometimes on paper or on, in, your, in, in your code editor, when you try it out, it just feels like crap. Um, so that's the conclusion I came to with that. Uh, and then I archived it. But I, I am glad I did it. I am glad well, I did it's it. not that it, it doesn't necessarily feel like crap. It's just you realize, like we were talking about, it, it's so much more work for really there, there's not as much benefit to it as, as you may think. And it just becomes a lot to maintain. I, I, I love the, it, it, the command bus is definitely one of those things where I love the concept and I feel like it has its place, but it, its place isn't in every, every project. It isn't in every application. My issue is my issue with it is it feels so programmery. Uh, that's one of my, my big things I've learned to look out for, um, I think, as I've matured as a developer, is being very sensitive and suspicious of things that feel super programmery. And the command bus is one of those. It's very technical, very programmery, where you have to explain it, and you have to do full presentations to explain how this thing works. Um, I don't know. It, I've learned to be suspicious of it. It doesn't feel simple. It doesn't feel clear. It feels complicated. And uh, in Twitter discussions, if you ever bring that up, usually the response is something like, well, it needs to be complicated because complex domains require complex solutions, um, which I always hate, right? I, I feel like it's kind of a, a cop-out of like, well, of course this is complicated because it has to be. No, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't have to be because somebody else is going to figure out a more simple way to do it. Uh, those people have been doing it for decades and decades. They've been finding more simple ways to accomplish these things. Um, and so just saying this needs to be complicated uh, is never a smart move in my mind.
I can't agree with you more. <laughs> I deal with that a lot. Um, Twitter, work, friend, family, uh, people want to complicate things and uh, it's not, not always fun. Um, sometimes I complicate things and I end up, you know, wanting to kick myself in the head later. I'm not sure if that's physically possible though. Hmm. Um, one thing on I wanted to, <laughs> I'm six foot seven and I have no flexibility. I really don't think it's going to happen. Oh. <laughs> Um, question. This one's kind of a, it's the same question for two products. First product, is, I'm going to focus on Laravel. Where do you see Laravel going in the next five years? We have a great framework. Um, there are things that are getting added, Dusk, uh, on and on. Um, wh where do you think, where, where does Laravel go next? Yeah. I think I've been using Laravel for five years at this point. I'm trying to think when Taylor released. I I came on on board right around like the tail end of Laravel two and then Laravel three. But really, like Laravel one to Laravel three was a pretty short period of time. So um, I'm fortunate enough that I discovered it very much in the early days. I, I think at this point, very very few people even used Laravel three. Um, it was very similar, uh, but but different in a number of ways. Uh, anyways. I assume that was about four or five years ago. Uh, and when I compare that to today, I don't know, it's, it's pretty different. It, it's, you know what it is? It, there's just so many more components to it. Uh, a lot of it from talking with Taylor is him coming to roadblocks and thinking, oh, this sucks to use, or this sucks that I have to do this over and over. And sure enough, uh, like a month later, he'll pop back up with a solution that makes it so much better. Uh, I think in terms of talking about complexity, uh, taking complex things and making them simpler. He does it better than just about anyone I've ever seen uh, in my life. Uh, it's funny, I remember about three years ago, I was talking to him on Telegram, and he said something along the lines of, uh, can you think of anything else that should be in Laravel? Like, I guess he was working on the next release. Maybe it was 4.1 or 4.2, I don't know. And he was like, can you think of anything else? And I remember specifically saying, you know what? I I I. I think it's about done. I can't think of anything else that would be nice that's not already in the framework. And that was version 4.2. And then version 5 came. And then 5.1, 5.2, 5.3, 5.4, and queues and, and Scout, and all of these, and Dusk, which is really cool. Dusk is something I'd tried to solve on my own, and he did it better. Um, so in terms of what I think will happen in five years, I, I really don't know. I'm excited to see what he thinks. Um, I think... I don't know. I'm curious how thinks how he thinks about it. Whether it's uh, he has a five year plan or if he thinks more in terms of incremental releases. My instinct is it's more in terms of the the immediate. Because you know what, in five years, who has any clue what the landscape is going to be like? If I think of ten years ago, it's night and day in terms of how uh, developers build applications. I mean, if you showed me ten years ago uh, using Rails or Express. Uh, with Node or using Webpack and all of that, it's like whoo, way over your head. Uh, it's much more complex, uh, but you realize the benefits of it. So you know what? My answer, it's a cop-out. I don't know. My instinct is uh, there will be some movement towards um, Laravel serving front-end, uh, front single-page applications, and maybe assisting more with uh, on the API side, but he's already done that. So I, I don't know. I really have no clue. What do you guys think? Where do you think it's going? Did you ask him this question on the last episode? We didn't. We weren't smart enough. Well, why are you no. asking me? I don't know. <laughs> Wait a We're minute. Not. We could have asked him. That's what we should have done. 
<laughs> just kidding. We're not good with timing. We're, we're just not. Um, maybe, you know what, guys? We're going to have to have Taylor back on. I mean, there's no choice. We got to get him back on. Cancel Eric Barnes next week. Taylor's coming on. Oh, you have Eric I'm, next week? I'm joking. That's fun. Uh, in two in, weeks. In rather. two weeks. In two weeks, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, on that note, I really don't know. I mean, I think when I think about, like, all the Twitter arguments about Laravel's bad practices and uh, not testable, uh, <laughs> see Matt shooting at his head. Um, and then he comes out with Dusk. And when we had him on the show last time, uh, one of the things he said, if, if you can't test something in Laravel, tell me, and I will, I will, make, I will fix it. I think that's, that's huge. Like, it, it's, I don't know. I, I think he may, I, I wonder if he will go with the trend of what people were complaining about. I really wonder that. What do you mean by that? Well, I, the trend I of what people talk, are complaining about. Yeah, I, I don't talk to Taylor enough. And this is kind of it, it, half assumption, half I know that Dusk took a, a, more, a longer time to build. Um, but I know that a lot of people were complaining about the testability of Laravel. I've heard that so much. And, um, you know, like facades, people think they're static classes and they're bad and untestable and um, on and on. Um, and I, I, my assumption is Dusk was the reaction to uh, saying, hey, this is a library that's going to make everything end-to-end testable. You have no more excuses. Like, what can you say now? I don't know if that was the case or not. I'm, I'm probably wrong. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say it was a reaction at all because I think the reality is this. Laravel's testing facilities have been incredibly good for a very long time now. That's a fact. Dusk is just a solution for for doing uh, acceptance testing that goes through the browser. That's it. But before that, we had really good intuitive testing. Uh, before before that, the testing was still good, right? So I, the the thing about Twitter is the many of the complaints stem from people who have no um, they have no interaction with the framework itself. So like, there's a lot of parroting that goes around. I heard this person say it's not testable. So now I'm going to advertise to my own group that I don't use uh, Laravel because it's not testable. And it's complete BS, complete, total BS. Um, plenty of us are writing tests for Laravel all of the time. Um, they will bring up facades. Facades are testable. But you know what? If you don't like facades, don't use facades. It's not like Laravel is this framework full of, of facades you know, it, it just doesn't work that way. If you want to inject a request class instead of using uh, the request function, then inject the request class. You know, Laravel doesn't have any opinion whatsoever on how you build applications. But the the mantra seems to be by by people who, for whatever reason, are threatened by the frame. I've, I've always been curious about this. There's There's this feeling that Laravel is threatening to certain people. And I would love to know why. Because at the end of the day, whether it's Symfony or Rails or Laravel, they don't have any agenda other than to help you make money, right? But I don't know. I, I noticed this in the PHP community more. Uh, I did a podcast about it uh, on my own site. But I get the feeling in the PHP world, there is this animosity that framework developers want to lock you in and they want to encourage bad practices. And it's like, what are you talking about? That's just not even remotely true. They want to help you make money, period. Nothing beyond that. Um, so the people who are against it, I would love to understand, like, what specifically are you against? I because, think sure, it, go ahead. 
Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's more of an identity issue in a lot of cases. And, and I say this because I, I find myself doing it. And this is from my own experience of I, I will, de- you know, determine my own opinion of something, whatever that particular thing is. And maybe I've heard one person say this or one person say that, or maybe I've done some skim reading of some general concepts and then maybe they're really far one side versus another. And it's unfortunate because you, you try and build some of your own concepts, your own identity around those ideas, right? Or not your identity, but it's reflective of that, right? Like if I put something into GitHub and I'm committing to it, that's a statement saying, I believe that that is the best way to solve this problem. And that says something about you. So then it becomes almost like a fear reaction. It's just pure fear of, well, that's absurd. You can't do this. You can't do that. But you're working off minute segments of the information versus looking at it in a a more objective way and saying, well, what isn't doable with this? I mean, like I've never had a problem with Laravel and testing ever. And, like I, I, now, I have my now my business partner. He did have some issues with doing stuff with Vue, but that's exactly what Dusk solves because it runs it all through the browser, right? So you you ignore that problem now, or not ignore, but you bypass it. Yeah, and, and even on that note, I'm always suspicious of the idea that uh, if it's if something is difficult to unit test, that means it's inherently bad because unit test is this broad term that uh, my big complaint of testing has always been not of testing specifically, I, I think they're vital, but of the testing community and the, the evangelists, is that nobody agrees on any of the terms whatsoever. So, for example, some people would say a unit test is the smallest possible layer that you can test, and that will be a class, and then you're going to mock or stub out every single dependency of that class, right? Um, and if you take that mindset, using a facade or a helper function in Laravel, will make you feel gross because you can't do it, right? You can't do it without doing a lot of trickery or um, actually the Kalan framework allows you to do everything. But if you're using PHP unit, you, you, uh, you can't do it. But that's the question is, does that mean the code is inherently bad or does it mean that the test framework doesn't allow you to do that? Um, and then other people, of course, would think of unit testing a bit more broad that you're, you're testing um, you know, a collection of related things that, that don't cross a particular boundary, which is how... I'm starting to, to think about it more. But yeah, again, the idea that if something is testable, then the code is good. And w- worse is you have to structure the code in a very specific way to make it testable in that very specific way. And if you don't do that, people get very upset. And I think that's where a lot of these battles, uh, quote unquote, begin. I don't know. I, I do hate the shaming because everyone's just trying to figure this stuff out. Everyone's trying to do their best. But there is a lot of shaming where if you do this, then you're doing it wrong. I, I do hate the concept of um, best practices. It is a best practice to do this, which basically translates to if you don't do this, then you're, you're writing poor code and uh, shame on you. And I really hate that. Um, it, it, it shuts down discussion. I think that's the thing is when you say this is a best practice, what you're saying is, uh, we're shutting down conversation. You cannot question this because it's already been determined to be a best practice. And what we find is that uh, over the years, what we think are best practices actually uh, are not best practices. Uh, they evolve, you know? So who, why even label them as anything? They are, they are current recommended approaches. They're trendy approaches, but uh, we're all just trying to figure this junk out. It's really hard. 
So I want to go back to so the original question that we went off on an awesome tangent, but the original question was five years, where do you see Laravel? Now, what I want to ask is five years, where's Laracast going? And for me on the personal side, I've gotten a bit more experience, thanks to you. Are you going to cater more to the experienced people or more to the newer people? Where do you, where do you see yourself going? Uh, in terms of catering, both, always both. Uh, one of the reasons why I created Laracast was uh, I, I, before that I worked for a company called Envato and I worked on a product called uh, Touch Plus. And one thing that I, I was starting to dislike about it is the idea that uh, this product was for everyone, whether you do crafts or programming or web design or um, video animation, it was for everyone. You know, kind of like Linda, that was the, the approach. And I started realizing for me as a user, that was a complete turnoff because I'm going to the site and I want to feel like I'm part of a little community. Uh, but instead, I'm surrounded by people who are very interested and passionate about video or crafts. Uh, and why do I want to be part of that? You know, it, it doesn't feel like it's for me. So I created Laracast because I wanted something for a very specific type of developer. I'm not going to teach you uh, how to use Python. I'm not going to teach people how to build node applications, at least not to any huge extent. It's specifically for somebody who uses PHP and Laravel and Composer and some JavaScript. It's for that type of developer. And I think that's why it's done surprisingly well, uh, if I can pat myself on the back. I think it's done surprisingly well because the focus is so narrow. Uh, what you see with a lot of education sites is they start with one area, like we're going to focus on Ruby, but then um, if they get bought out, they have to branch out and they have to make more money. Uh, they already have the Ruby developers income. They now need to branch out and get, uh, to be frank, money from .NET developers. So they're going to expand and cover that. And then they're going to expand and cover PHP. Uh, and they do make more money, but the downside, again, is that that service is no longer for Ruby developers or just PHP developers. It's for everyone, and it's such a big world that uh, it gets a little, I don't know, it feels a little less special because you're just in this huge mall full of people of all different types. Uh, whereas with Laracast, if I keep it narrow, it is for a very specific type of person, and every person on that forum is working on uh, similar sorts of applications and they can help each other a lot better. What was the question again? Let's do um, this. Next five years, where next are you going? Years, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I love the people on Twitter who uh, who have their journals. They, they take a snapshot of their journal to let you know that they're working on the game plan for their product. I don't know. Um, I have, I have a, a, a section in Wonderlist that I use, but I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you and act like I have this five-year game plan thought out. Uh, I'm winging it. I think everybody's winging it, if we're frank. We just take pictures of our journals to, to convince everyone else that we, we know what's going to happen in the next three years when we don't. Uh, so at most, I have a six-month game plan. So like uh, at the end of mid-2016, the game plan was I wanted to do a complete refresh of Laracast in terms of the design, and I wanted to cover this specific content. And it did not go beyond that. Um, I think a lot of people get into this mindset of like, think big, think a hundred X. If you, if you want to take your company and, and multiply it a hundred times over, what would you have to do and put those things in motion? Uh, and I'm very thankful we have those people, but for me, it's, that's not necessarily what I want. Um, if I, if I were to think of Laracast in terms of make it 10 X, what would I have to do? I would have to hire a lot of people. I would have to hire a lot of additional educators to help me to expand the brand. 
And the question is, would that make me happier having to manage all of these people? Uh, if I were doing that, I'd be writing less code. Um, I'd be doing less teaching, which I really like. So those are the two things I really love. But if I hire 10 different developers, um, which some would say I should be doing, I'd become a manager. And that's the last thing I want to do. So I, I think in six-month intervals uh, and not too big, not too big. The service is doing as good as it needs to be. Um, I, I don't have to think five years from now. Good answer. I would I'm happy to hear that. Um, we are kind of running over our time a little bit, but what we what we like to do is go into the community, the live community question. We've got a couple here. Um, one is from Ted Nugent, and I, I know this fellow. He it's his real name. It's not the rock star. I assure you. Um, He's a guitar player. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually have the same kind of question. I, I am curious about um, Pre. Jeffrey's teaching style. I am curious how he developed his approach for Laracast. Uh, I didn't. I didn't do anything. Um, maybe okay. Maybe it was what I wish would have been done for me uh, when I was learning. I, I remember learning ASP when I when I was quite a bit younger, and I would I would watch these videos on um, some website. I think Joe Stagler did them. If anyone's familiar with him, and I would watch these videos, and he had a really good way of making it all approachable and simple. But then I would watch other videos, YouTube is especially bad for this, where they teach you something, but it's very clear that they're not necessarily trying to teach you something. Um, maybe it feels like they're trying to show off. So they will just dump you into this huge project with so much code and you can't keep up and you're trying to read it, but he's moved on to something else and you can't take it in. Uh, and it's overwhelming and you feel worse at the end of the video than you did at the beginning. And you feel dumber at the end uh, because they didn't necessarily teach you anything. Uh, so when I started doing videos, I thought more from the point of view of, okay, let's take it from scratch. We're gonna work together. I'm gonna explain to you each step of the process. And then when I'm done, I'm gonna go over the entire process again, just to make sure you fully get it. Uh, and you'll find that most people don't even begin to do that. Most people go too fast. They assume that you know more than you do. Um, and it makes you feel, again, as a student, it makes you feel dumb that you don't understand it. Um, yeah, that's that's it. I, I, it's not like I developed like this patented uh, system that that I can sell you for thirty nine ninety nine. Uh, no, it's it's just it imagine you're teaching your your younger self. Uh, that would be the best way I could say it. Uh, if you're teaching your seventeen year old self how to do this, what would you say? And most people don't do that. They, they teach their peers or they want to show off how smart they've become. Um, but teach your younger self, teach your teenage self. And I think most people will do a lot better as educators. That's actually really cool because I have the assumption again, I always assume, well, he, a teacher, he probably a teacher and passed it on to him. But no, that's actually really cool. A really good way to think about it if you're becoming a mentor in, in terms of a developer role. Or talk to. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be told to do that class. Go research it yourself. I, I like to be told a little bit more. Help me understand why. Why we have private, protected, public uh, property classes, etc. But that uh, is the hard cool. thing. Is like you said. Why do we have private, public, protected? So that is really important to cover at a certain point. But then for a different type of video, it would annoy everyone because the assumption is, well, of course we know what a protected method is, Jeff. So if you cover that, then you annoy those people. So again, it comes back to that thing of trying to have a specific target audience. So for example, I have um, 
laravelfromscratch.com, which is like the, it's the domain to the current release of Laravel training. I'm actually redoing it right now. Like today, I've been recording a bunch of videos uh, for 5.4. But anyways, that is a much slower approach. It's much more like, okay, you probably don't know what this is. You probably don't know what MVC even means. So I will describe those definitions. But again, for other things, uh, you can assume that others know quite a bit more. But again, everyone's watching everything. So you're going to annoy somebody at all times. Uh, and that's just the way it goes. Okay. One of the other questions is, and this is good for all of us as well. How do you handle physical health in regard to sitting too much, RSI stuff? Um, like your, your health. We, we sit a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling it, honestly. A lot of people do the standing desks. Um, I'm just not sure about it. Have any of you guys ever done a standing desk? I, I actually have a standing desk now. I, I have. What do you think? I have, I'm on the fence. I, I, I find myself like, I don't know. I, I, I can't get as into coding when I'm standing. Like I'll stand for meetings and I'll stand when I'm doing emails. But when I have to code, I've got to put it back down. I do see that you're sitting right now. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be my worries. Like, okay, I'm gonna get this. And and the reality, like you have to focus at some point. And I'm not sure how much you can really just sit and do this, you know, when you're working, if you're standing yeah. up. You just kinda wanna sit down. So my instinct would be more to um just focus more on uh, exercise. But it is true. Like we sit and stare at screens so much. This is what I meant when I said in 10 years, I would love to never own a computer again. Because I'm pretty sure in 10 years, I will be completely brain fried. And the industry will have evolved so much at that point, And I will feel so behind the pack that I will just say like, screw it. I'm done. Uh, I'm never going to own a computer again. Uh, but yeah, right now, a lot of sitting, right? A lot of sitting, a lot of staring at a screen. Too much being in bed, working on a laptop late at night, uh, which is a really bad habit that nobody admits they do, but um, I try to admit that I do it. And, uh, and you know you need to get up, and you, you, you have every intention to go to the gym, but with coding, it's one of those things, like once you hit that groove, time has no more meaning to you. It's just like flies by, and you're just in there coding, and something's got to break you out of it to realize that half the day has gone by. It is crazy how that is, right? I had that the other day where I was working on something, and I was so intent on it that three hours had gone by, and it felt like 10 minutes. Uh, it's, it's very rare things that actually will do that for you, um, but coding is definitely one of it. One of I, I, have, I have the problem of bad sleep patterns. Um, when I do choose to go to sleep, I'm out cold. It's never like, a, oh, I'm laying in bed tossing and turning and stuff. No, no, I'm out, like dead out when I do sleep, but I'll get maybe three and a half hours of sleep, and then it's like, get up, go, 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 go. Now, I'm, I, I like to try and hit the gym, or, or at least exercise as much as I can. And to be honest with you, I've always actually found doing, doing literally home videos, uh, you know, like there's the P90X stuff or those T25 ones and things. I mean, honestly, one of the things I always found is that it's easier to do the less you have to think about it. And I, and I think that that becomes a big problem for a lot of people, even when you're, you know, a developer with a, you know, sitting at your desk day job. Because I mean, like, Standing desks are nice, and I've, I've even done the walking thing where you, you walk while you're trying to code. It's like, well, that's a nightmare. So gave up, you give up on that lightning fast. The standing it can be really beneficial, but I actually find that I, I like to do my kind of reviewing of stuff while I'm standing. 
Um, I just find that to be a little less, because it's like you said, Jeffrey, when you're, when you need to be in that zone, you're not, you're not thinking about, Oh, my standing right is my posture good. No, no, you're you're crouched over. You're like, oh god, oh god, why, why does that not work? Yeah, for sure. Have you guys seen the? Uh, I, I saw something online the other day. It's like the the next generation of standing desks, and they showed this person. And they're sitting in a chair, and then suddenly it starts rotating, and they're suddenly on their back, but the computer is above them. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It looks so cool. And then I'm like, all right, if we need this, I mean, what's wrong with us if we actually need this product? It made me think of that. What's that Pixar movie where they're kind of rude? I can't think of it. With, yeah, with the little robot, right? Wally. 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 Yeah. Yeah, it felt like that. Like, oh, do we really need this desk so that we can lay on our back and stare at an iMac? I mean, come on. But at the same time, I was like, oh, cool. I need to check that out. Um, but yeah. It looks like we've lost Sean, which is probably okay. I think we're we're well over our one hour. We've used up enough of your time, uh, Jeffrey. I apologize for for keeping it a little longer than than we we promised. Yeah, it was fun. So we should probably wrap it up. I did want to throw out a couple things out there. Um, now, now that Sean's not here, I, I can't embarrass him, but uh, if you guys are interested, Sean was invited to speak with uh, Cal Evans on Voices of the Elephant. Um, that video is out now. I, I highly recommend going to it. I recommend that whole series. Uh, Voices of the Elephant series is a great series that Cal Evans does. He's huge in the PHP community, if you don't know who he is. Um, he just goes around and talks to a lot of interesting people who are doing interesting things with PHP. And he took some time to speak with Sean uh, last week. So uh, that podcast has been released. That's out there. Um, next, uh, in two weeks, we're going to have Eric Burns. Jeffrey, can I ask your opinion? How do you feel about the news? Uh, Eric Burns is handing over Laird News to uh, Michael Durando and, uh, and Jake Evans. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah? <laughs> I don't have any, I don't have any uh, super opinion. Um, uh, they, who they're who Eric's handing it off to? They do a really good job. They're nice guys, so I think yeah. they they are the perfect people to take over uh, for Eric and Jack. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of of their existing podcast, uh, North Meets South, and they've promised to to keep that going. So I'm I was real happy to hear that. I mean, you talk about people that work a lot. That now they're talking about doing two podcasts. I know uh, Jake uh, just released his Markdown to Media project. Uh, I saw that. And then, yeah. And then they have full-time jobs as well. So they're, they're monsters out there right now. They're tearing it up. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to them on Laravel News. Uh, but yeah, we'll have Eric Burns here with us uh, in two weeks. And uh, I forget... Oh, Matt, help me out. Do we do we know what the uh, hashtag is this month for the GitHub repo? Did we decide? Oh, yes, yeah, we did. chat resolutions. You're right. That's why I go to you, Matt, because because you know these things. Is that the hashtag? I was watching the last episode, and you guys couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah, it's uh, it's Laracat, uh resolutions. So hashtag that out if you're interested in getting a, a free one-year subscription to github that gives you all the private repos and we'll be giving away another five of those at the end of this month uh besides that mr way i mean i can't uh, tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us yeah thank you it was a lot of fun all right
So I don't know how to end the stream because that's really Sean's thing. But I think for now, we'll just all hang up and there might be another hour of dead air if you guys are watching. Thanks again. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.